I like to tie off and watch the poop fly. Hey, get a count on those cows before they get out of there. Then back from Colonel Freckles back there to the two-eyed Jack. Then that two-eyed Jack, he's going to move right along there to being Poco Bueno. My mother-in-law's horse, even though I ain't got no mother-in-law. That's my kid horse, even though I ain't got no kids. And, and that's how you're going to get that foundation bred back to uh, fire and water right there. Did you get a head count? I'm not trying to. Don't make fun of a man's horse, dog, or hat. There you go. Sushi is fish for men who don't know how to build a fire. Gate for riffs. Right, all right, all right. Back at the ranch with John and Ola, your riff bros from Gated for Riffs. Welcome, dear listener, to episode 5000. We are Gated for Riffs, and you are listening. Maybe. Maybe you're listening. Hopefully, hopefully you're still listening. <laughs> I don't think we have two dragged out intros, though. We're not as bad as some podcasts in that regard. We try, mm, uh, usually no. we're on the topic in five minutes. Yeah, I uh, agree. I listened to four podcasts last week and I had to stop after 10 minutes because they hadn't reached anywhere. And uh, yeah, that was disappointing because I always use the podcast when I'm doing the dishes because mm. that's my least favorite thing. But together with the podcast, it might work. But then I tuned in to Get It For Riffs, our own uh, episodes. <laughs> our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that works exceedingly well to do the dishes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is quite common to listen to your own shows, I think, for the first 200 episodes or so. That's what I've heard from more seasoned podcasters, and yeah. then they can't do it anymore. They can just, they oh. just record it and, and, and send it out. They, they don't even edit, you know. They're like exactly. Pod of Thunder, I like the pod, but they do literally zero editing at any <laughs> time. So everything is still in there. In one episode, someone got a cough attack. And the episode was ruined because he just kept coughing through the whole episode. <laughs> and I think they felt that it was, I don't know, that it felt natural or, you know, yeah. authentic. But, uh, you know, it's an old man, that guy is like 50. And he's just <laughs> in the background. And, uh, yeah, that was too authentic for my taste, but still a good pod. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, there are 400 it, episodes. So, yeah. I'm I'm happy that we do uh, we do editing. I mean, you uh, you put a lot of work in, uh, John. You should have some accolade for that, definitely. Um, it's fun. It's also practicing skills that I have and trying new approaches when I get bored of one. So now I'm yeah. actually bored of the uh, weather report stuff. So I'm gonna find something new. <laughs> this episode might be completely stripped down with nothing yeah. in the start. Yeah, yeah. It starts I like this. Nothing. Who knows? We'll see. I like. I like the I like this uh, southern rock vibe that came on. Uh, with I felt that I was sitting at a on my ranch on my front porch drinking moonshine. You know, this uh. ranch is like where it's, it's a good place to live, isn't it? Like if if you yeah. ask you and me, and we've had our respective families, like in that old photo, you know, with the long-haired guys. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, then we would choose a probably ranch living, I think. I think that would be yeah. the ultimate, ultimate life. And I'm also thinking about Gotland, of course. And so on, you mm. know. <laughs> I start a ranch in, uh, in Amsterdam center. <laughs> Why I, not? Mean, you, it, it, I mean, Amsterdam is kind of rural, though. Like, if you bike 20, 40 minutes out, it's like completely ranch-compatible, well, isn't it? it? It's close to uh, ranch-compatible. And yesterday I helped a friend move some... Uh, I have, I have, I'm sorry, uh, but it was trash. And <laughs> we moved it to a storage. Uh, no, not everything was tra uh, trash, but there was a lot of trash that he wanted to save. Uh, and it was very heavy and dirty. Uh, stuff that he had taken down from a building. So it was a lot of uh, pigeon poop on it. So I was like, ugh. Mm, what the fuck? But no, we Gray went. Uh, we went white. like forty. We we went in the in forty for forty minutes. We drove up north, and we got out. I mean, fairly quickly, like you say, outside of Amsterdam, and then like there is just nothing. You know, everything is very flat. Um, yeah. It's flat country, and uh, we came to this old um, uh, glass uh, green greenhouses that had been turned into uh, storage units. And we loaded everything in, and we got the hell out of there. But it was kind of nice to be outside. It was the last uh, sunny day with snow. Now it's all raining away. So yeah, I mean we're we're heading towards spring. It's gonna be 13, yeah. 14, 15 degrees next week here. Uh, <laughs> it's going yeah, actually fast. today. You know, today is one of those weird uh, February days in Sweden that you for sure have experienced before. But it is complete spring weather, just for a day. I mean, mm. not temperature-wise, because we're still in winter, but all day I've, I've heard, like, piles of m snow melting and falling of houses. And uh, But in, it's not in a bad way this time. It feels kind of invigorating, in a sense. And yeah, yeah. with your friend, with the trash. I, immediately I thought about, I had this RPG-playing game the other Friday with Isaac, who was on our show, right? Game for Riffs. Yeah. Martin, among others. And we met this character in-game that always insisted on bringing his trash along. <laughs> so I instantly thought about your friend being mm -hmm. that guy now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, of course, of course, it, it's not, uh, it's not, it wasn't all trash, uh, Machil, if you're listening, but uh, some well, of those Machil things... Machil is the guy I'm, with the car. I remember Machil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The driver. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you can't keep everything. You know. But no, uh, he, 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 he does for now, we'll see what happens. Anyway, anyway, uh, yeah. let's get on with today's episode. Yeah, now we, we should, already we broke that time yeah. limit, I think. Yeah, you can't keep <laughs> everything, and uh, I mean, I used to hoard way more. I lost it at one point when I like I had this catharsis by throwing away two huge plastic, uh, black plastic bags of just crap, including mm. like my work from high school or something like that that my father insisted on me keeping. Like this, it will feel good throwing this in the burnables. Yeah, yeah, that it really stuff. did. And I since that day, I'm not as bad a hoarder. I still hoard some musical stuff, but that's you know, uh, that's my hobby, I guess. It's fine. I, I, I just stop yeah. on that a little bit. And but I'm hoarding like, also uh, <laughs> early 70s stuff. Uh, hey! Yeah. Uh, like nice. uh, We're heading back there again. That's why I, my sound has changed. And this is the first time in the game for Riff history that I'm not using the Rev G3 distortion. I'm, I'm with my old trusty blues driver today. Ooh, the blues driver. <laughs> my blues driver is uh, lost somewhere. But I'm, I'm planning to get it back. But it's somewhere in Stockholm. Mm, I don't know okay. exactly where. Well, I, don't this, exactly uh, I bought this one from the US for, on eBay because it's modded by this Keeley guy uh, who makes mm. great mod mods to boss pedals or used to. I, now he makes his own. But anyway, that's the sound. That's not the riff. So uh, let's, let's get riffing. Uh, let's get riffing. Let's get riffing. 
simple one, but uh, kind of cool. <laughs> I I know the riff. I recognize it, but I want more clues. It's like Posporet. I just want to hear the clues because I think they are exciting. Big, uh, quite big discography. Lots of member changes. So I decided to keep my head at peace by picking three songs from the same record. So I'm I'm playing nice. another one now. I I think I know what it is, but my brain I have some kind of aneurysm going on because it's like it's a blockage. But I know both the riffs, and oh, uh, first oh. uh, after the first one, I was like, I I kind of knew it, and I was like, ah, is it? And then I was like, fuck! It also sounds like Megadeth, and it's not Megadeth. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've started to sound like Megadeth all the time. I think it's become part of my riffing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. another riff from the same song yes uh, that i the second song again but another part blank yeah uh, i i think yeah. there there is something like uh, uh missing like the vocals or something that is just like it mm. just gels together right it's, definitely uh, but definitely I, ah it's not really a guitar band so you're definitely i really want to i really want to know it like after the first gift but uh let's not uh the easiest riff is still there though you have your okay. lifeline riff <laughs> yeah so let's see <laughs> all right <laughs> That's the most famous riff they have. Oh, okay, but it's not King Crib. The best clue is that you're you're missing something. You're definitely missing an element, and it's not yeah. just vocals. It's another super important element to this band and this sound that is missing, and that makes it harder to guess. Yeah, um, it, it, but it is. Uh, I know what it is. All right, you I know. know I, I know what what band it is, uh, and I. It's just <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jethro Tull. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't I didn't do this because then it would have been maybe too easy. Or something, you know, it doesn't really fit guitar that riff. Yeah. But uh of course that was from Cross-Eyed Mary. And uh, yeah. really the main riff of this episode would be Cross-Eyed Mary with uh mm. I really dig the the grooviness of the verse combined with the chorus. It's really hard rocking. Because uh, it's kind of you can tell that Bruce Dickinson listened to this with when he wrote uh, Revelations, because <laughs> it's kind of oh, reverse yeah. Revelations, you know. 
I really dig that fill. Because then I also extend this into what, what is the chorus riff, the best riff. Modulate up. Yeah, anyway, that's a hell of a riffing. And the band is called Jethro Tull. Most famous member would be Ian Anderson. And I yes. mentioned him last episode, and it sounded yeah. like I had this loathing voice, like, oh, that's Jethro Tull. That's crap. So then <laughs> I decided right after the episode that I wanted to do Jethro Tull because they've been like uh, never a main band of mine, but they've been along for the whole ride. My, my father is a pretty big fan. And then I was really happy when it turned out that Steve Harris listened to something in common with my dad. So I started to like <laughs> feel, feel like uh, <laughs> I had this connection to the band, but mostly like Aqualung didn't shake out a lot. And they've, they've had their changes. You know, they started as Ian Anderson was a guitar player in the beginning, super mm. frustrated that he couldn't get as good as Clapton, basically, you know, whatever the bar was. So uh, just to make uh, stuff clear here, wh- yeah. Which songs did you play now? Was it oh, just yeah, yeah. Crossside uh, Mary? Crossside Mary was, was the main one, and then yeah. that one I already. And then it, the first one was Locomotive Breath. So that's the kind of, and it has the train. And which is also a hard rocking riff, I would say. Um, yeah, and then I felt like uh, I felt like there I was like, oh, I know what it is, but then I kind of heard uh, they must say, I will sell world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was totally off. I couldn't think. Uh, okay, but uh, locomotive breath, cross-eyed Mary, and also Aqualung title track. Yeah, with exactly. that really strange long riff. It's too long. Listen to this. very long riff very yeah odd, it, it, you know, it moves it, like a robot it's this interesting these uh long riffs that move over like four bars and they don't really repeat until after four yeah. bars or maybe this is uh, in some seven four or whatever they might be playing but uh, i was thinking about that like wh- where is the um, where is the edge of riftum where does the riff become yeah. you you know a longer uh melody or like maybe like a too long of a piece for to be called yeah. a riff uh and maybe that's a nice uh, place to start just like except and then we'll move back to the to the band because i think it's sure. interesting so something i thought about uh, about a lot yeah because aqualung it could be a riff more standard if it was if it was just you know something like that but instead he has a super long tail and mm. uh, i remember first the first time i ran into this kind of thing was uh, with opeth <laughs> again famous from episode one of game for riffs but yeah. uh, uh they usually did riffs that could be more than eight bars long and at that time it was really up my alley what i wanted to hear you know like this kind of more advanced riffage or there's more in the riff but when mm. i listen to this riff i'm actually slightly annoyed by by the length of it <laughs> Because it gets really autistic towards the end with, uh, like... Really a super strange riff, so... I, I, yeah, yeah but, my opinion, it's hard to pinpoint it. I would say, good to experiment, but it doesn't always work, and maybe a riff should be maximum eight bars. Uh, mm. What's your take on it? 
Well, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> coming at it from uh, another. I had this. Um, was thinking about uh, Tristan and Isolde, the mm. uh, the epic kind of uh, uh, opera uh, that has. Uh, is it Wagner who made it? Uh, that that it really works with this uh, light motif. You know the um, the the motif the motif that is um, you know presented uh, and and kind of. Uh, you know, belongs to a character. You know, like the the light motif. It's like in um, uh, in Lord of the Rings or wherever, yeah. or in the uh, Ring des Nibelungs or something. You know, where uh, the uh, character has their own uh, song. Let's say, you know, the the anthem of this person. Yeah. And in Tristan and Isolde, or I mean, now not really remembering, it, but I think it's um, uh, from Wagner. It really felt like it when I went to see it. Uh, it has this leitmotif that is um, not resolved until the very end. So it has maybe you know like uh, three tones. Uh, now I'm guessing like, uh, and then. Um, you know, like it, un, until the end when they die, or if it's Tristan or dies, or it's all the, uh, there is only these three notes, but then the resolution comes in the, at the very last note. It's just like, you know, like that. It, and it resolves yeah. in the end, and it takes so long to get, it takes four hours to get to that point. But I think that um, uh, the payoff is uh, pretty huge if you paid attention, you know, like you notice. Ah, there. That's where it's going because that's really the end of everything, and uh, and I was thinking, okay, but maybe that is something that you could work with also in um, uh, in, in popular music, and uh, I think I think yeah. people do definitely. And also my band that I will I will bring up uh, <laughs> most definitely Ooh. did uh, a little bit of them. Uh, but uh, interesting with Jeth- Jethro Tull because Jethro they're progressive Tal. for sure, but they're more and they're still like a hard rock band. Yeah, and quite folky too. You know, there's a little bit of everything that was going on at oh, yeah, that time. Yeah. I, I like your um, your connection to um, to this Tristan and Isolde. Is it an opera? Yeah, or is it's it an just opera. a play? It's an opera. Yeah, the the, the operatic fact, you know, and um, that's you you often talk about operatic styles within heavy metal, but it really comes first. Uh, the it first came into rock, I think, with this type of music exploring. Um, I don't know, with a little bit medieval sound going on, it kind of fits yeah. um, into it. And uh, obvi- obviously, it's, 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 this record also has characters. You know, it has uh, Aqualung as a character. Cross-eyed Mary is uh, a female bum, also a character, right? So yeah. there's definitely a little play there. And it apparently, was inspired by Ian's wife's uh, photography, photography from uh, central London uh, around the Thames, the, the river, like the homeless people lurking there. Uh, that was the inspiration for the characters that kind of set the scene for for this play, if you will. But it's not a concept album as usual. It's just three or four songs that have a common theme, and then the other songs are um, on their own. You know, so not a concept album, but uh, kind of comes off as one. Oh yeah, yeah. We should also mention uh, guitarist. Uh, we mentioned singer Ian Anderson, and we have guitarist uh, on this album. And I guess the most famous one from Yathro would be uh, Martin Barr. But then uh, over the years, it's become this revolving door of a band. So Ian Anderson is always the, the main guy or the centerpiece. And uh, he said himself that he wrote this riff. <laughs> and that he wrote it really quietly on an acoustic guitar. Someone was sleeping in the, in the same apartment, so he played it super quietly. 
But in his head, he heard this roaring kind of, you know, it's kind of a stoner type riff, isn't it? Could be something sleep or... Yeah, I never played it before. Yeah, nice. I mean, it's also uh, annoyingly enough or perversely enough, it's located on the non-guitar boxes all the time. A lot of four, mm. uh, bar four or bar six. So it's in this different key. And uh, that kind of, the riff is a little bit unsettling, but it also, I think, I've, I've been on this many times in this show, kind of paints this picture of this uh, Aqualang, who is this bum, basically. That is, is on the front cover as well of the, of the record. looks really mischievous. Mischievous? Mischievous mm-hmm. on the cover, and uh, you can I can, you can kind of hear him creeping up in in the <laughs> you know <laughs> coming in, and uh, the I think the best part of the song is a part that I haven't really taught myself yet, and it's when they go from this odd uh, riffage into a very actually very poppy chorus uh, with the acoustic guitar, and they do go for the like big chords. couple of more chords and it has that's more beatly because they go from the same chord as major into minor and really kind of modulates and really nice vocal melody on top the aqualong my friend can't sing it but it's it's more of a typical pop style thing from 1971 combined with that riff that is clearly inspired by something like king crimson in Mm. 21st century schizoid man Mm. or something like that so I was kind of, I've been stuck in this year ever since you... Uh, 1971, yes. Yeah, your um, feature last week. And, uh, and I mean, like, at, at this time, uh, uh, where were they, you know, in set, like, where, where were they in, were they popular? You know, they were quite popular bands. Yeah, I was but surprised how, how... When, I, when I did my research, I was surprised on this regard that they sold 60 million albums. That's mm, way that, more that's, than I thought. That's a lot. That's a big band. That's and no more, one than, that. more than both you and me has uh, yeah. <laughs> sold. I mean, we've only sold 30 million records. Yeah. It, it, yeah it and we got dreams. totally screwed on that record deal as well. So we haven't seen a dime for that. But uh, like uh, someone is really rich. Someone is getting really rich. And uh, I, I wonder if it's not the flute uh, player. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the flute. I have to say, I think mm-hmm. it's an important part of the band, and uh, we kind of there's a connection to Black Sabbath in Jethro Tull. Do you know the details of that? Uh, it was uh, wasn't it that uh, uh, Tony Iommi before the first album or after the first album was asked to join uh, Jethro Tull as the guitar player? Uh, we may have mentioned this. Yeah, it's a good story. It's a good. I think I, I think we talked about it. Uh, yeah. That he um, uh, he went <laughs> he went and started. He played with them, I think. Yeah. And he, he went. Martin Barr to, went to the same audition. Should be mentioned. And he didn't get oh, the job oh, until later. Okay. All right. No, but he went to uh, to hang out with the guys, and they were having lunch, and <laughs> he was going over like in high school or something, going over to. Ian Anderson to sit down at this table and the, the rest of the band started waving like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, 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 he sits alone. <laughs> Don't go there. Sit here. Yeah. Such a weird, and but also I think he, he spoke, uh, Tony Omi spoke about, he learned a lot because they were so prof- super professional. Uh, yeah, exactly. They started Ian rehearsing at nine in, in the morning. 
Yeah, yeah, and he he never rehearsed or something. Yeah, but that like was Sabbath. unheard of in his camp, and he, he said yeah, himself yeah. that with the with the Sabbath guys, he was the only guy driving, so he he spent half the day just picking everyone up and waiting for them to wake up, <laughs> driving around, <laughs> trying to get the band together, you know. So yeah, he learned a little bit of uh, the work ethics, and I think also some of his playing styles uh, are similar. You know, he also kind of box like riffer, so he could also do things like. No, uh, could be some kind of turnaround, weird turnaround on volume four mm. or something like that. Mm. There, there are similarities, but uh, I mean, the only thing when I did my research now that was a little bit disappointing is that uh, Jethro Tull weren't really the first uh, with any of these kind of heavy riffs. Because mm. uh, I, I imagine they did this kind of stuff in the 60s, but at that time they were more on the folk rocky side and um, Ian trying to play guitar until he finally traded in in a pawn shop for a flute and a, and a microphone. <laughs> I yeah. love this. I love yeah. that, uh, you know, like that's really a gamble. That's Very a real so. gamble. And he mm. said that he, he played the, the flute with the wrong fingering technique until the 90s. Oh, because yeah. he didn't have As time to learn. He just went up on stage with it and started goofing, you know, and then came up with his standing on one leg thing. And I guess they really have like, or actually he really has an identity. Uh, like a lot of people may have seen you know the image of him with his uh, with his flute standing on one leg ripping something yeah uh, for sure for sure um so uh, long riffs uh, long riffs all there. where are we now what's next with this band uh, have, have you ever listened to them at all or uh, is it just <sighs> been like a band in the background even though they Apparently it sold is, quite a bit of uh, yeah, Well, the fun thing is uh, our friend Robin uh, loved Jethro Tull. Uh, yeah, at least when he was young, I mean, right? Yeah, I'm not sure I mean, if he kept them as his favorite band. Or, I don't know. No, but he also loved another band uh, that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, oh, we, we don't have to go there yet, but uh, I... Um, uh, but but with the light motif, you kind of... I don't know if you recognize. I mean, we might do it a bit different today. We maybe jump a bit back and forth. Can be fun, mm. you know. Like, oh, uh, right. let's see. Uh, it's this. Uh, and that's uh, uh, and and. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of jumping. Maybe if you don't know what it is, we can we can just you can have that as your guess. But if you know, uh, okay. but I got this idea of the light motif here because it, this band really just uses this all the time. But it's, it's a great effect, I must say. This kind of returning, returning to an epic, uh, euphoric yeah. uh, light motif. Uh, interesting riff. I don't. I, I, it doesn't ring a bell. It just really sounds soundtracky or like a character theme. Ish. You yeah. know, there's a difference between a character theme melody and a riff, in a sense. And uh, that's why I also wanted to do that Gain It For Films or whatever episode, mm. uh, because um, I really enjoyed studying f film music. I didn't do it for, for a long time, but I took a couple of courses. And uh, it's a lot of fun uh, going through, like, how, how, kind of, uh, how it aids the story without really mm. anyone knowing it, you know. Most people don't register the music. They, only, we would, they would only notice if it was gone. So it yeah. has a very way different function than, let's say, a roaring um, hard rock band with Mar Mark Wahlberg on vocals. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen sure. it yet. I haven't seen Rockstar. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I of will. course. Uh, you have to see it. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terribly good. 
uh, Rockstar and Mark, War- Mark Warburg and Zach Wild. Zach Wild. I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll say so, that in my memory for a bit, uh, the, the theme then, unless you had another riff they wanted to introduce already now. Well, I, I mean. do, but I, I, I guess I b- should we finish talking about Jethro Tull? Should we just like uh, l- locomotive breath uh, ahead? I mean, I have like, a, one more segment, but I could... Yeah, I, no, do it, because I... My, you said locomotive breath ahead, and that's the, the kind of what I wanted to yeah, touch on, yeah, yeah, uh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the song that kind of survived... Uh, the best for me it would be locomotive breath uh, i didn't mm. think of it that much back then but uh, now i really like the the tension they get in that it's super effective you know uh, he probably does it with open chords but you know i don't like playing like that on a, on a distorted guitar too much so i do it uh, in, with power chords but uh, it is is super simple e minor with that hook with uh, G and D. And then the chorus uh, modulates to G major. And then a nice going back out like this. Boom. And it has that train going, and I think that's oh, yeah. maybe what led you to <laughs> Megadeth, you know, like Train of Consequences could be like a tech version of, of this song. And uh, yeah, my dad always raved about this song and how cool it was when they played live and the intro is 10 minutes or something. And uh, he, it's like, I think it's his favorite riff actually of all time. Is there. He's always, he gets a special look on his face when he hears this riff. And I, I was thinking like, it's really, I really want to sing like, uh, we played, uh, play that riff again. I'll be the yeah, first right. in line. First in line. But it better work this time. It's time. It's <laughs> fucking that. The same way. You're right. It's a little bit peace cells with the... Yeah. Peace cells, but who's buying? Peace cells, but who's buying? Yeah. That's a, that a really good song. Actually. What I wanted to touch on with this one or was the theme. Because uh, the, the main theme of the album is interesting, but I find this song theme more interesting. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts with In the Suffering Madness of the locomotive breath, runs the all-time loser headlong to his death. He feels the piston scraping, um, steam breaking on his brow. So it's about, to my reading, it's about like the, you can't stop the progress. You can't stop it. No, no, no. You know how the society just grows <laughs> and it's uh, this image of this train, this locomotive breath and, you know, it's, it's just going to keep on going. Uh, the train won't stop. Uh, no way to slow down. Oh, oh. So, um, I mean, this was 72, and he was already, you know, a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, a little bit appalled, I guess, by how society was growing and, and, and moving up. And for mm-hmm. us now in 2020, how do we feel about it? Uh, I, I tend to change my mind. Sometimes I'm, I'm like a future guy, and I love all this hive mind stuff. And then at other points, I think maybe we're like a bit off more than we could chew. I don't know. What, what's no. your feeling on this? Um, I think it's like hard the world to, your son goes uh, into. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 baby, that's uh, that's rough. I think it's uh, we're just used to thinking way faster now, and and always, uh, you know, technology and capitalism is about moving forward, uh, getting bigger and better and more, 
you know, more of everything. And uh, I think that's how we also uh, consume uh, music, uh, uh, video games, uh, movies and stuff, and yeah. but also ideas, philosophy and... Uh, psychology you know like you 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 feel bad you felt bad back in the day uh but then you just go to work and now you feel bad and it's like uh how do i maybe i feel worse than everyone else maybe i have to also say that uh you know make make that um make that into a thing you know like you always like mm. look at stuff as they could be part of this like locomotive moving forward it's like you know the the spirit the the zeitgeist is kind of uh, yeah. that always going forward, always bigger and better, or bigger and worse. You know, right. uh, it's hard to stop. Uh, maybe that's the thing. You know, like it's no hard way. to you feel your you feel you have an idea what's going on, but then you turn around the corner and then you're lost. Uh, yeah. I think that that happens. This happens a lot uh, right now. Yeah, and at the end, it's just repeating. No way to slow down, and I think it's pretty much true. I don't think you could stop it, even if you wanted to, you know, even if you, you could go to the most extreme of measures and you would still mm. not really be able to stop it, I think. It's, mm. it's probably how we work as a species, or, you know, yeah, for survival at first, but then it becomes something else. And I guess that's also the point where it kind of starts derailing or where the train picks up a lot of speed is when uh, it's easier to survive. So everyone comes up with the new trajectories in life and um, usually of some kind of capitalistic sort, I would say. So it's gotten yeah. easier, but has it really, though? Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like it's getting a bit complicated as well. Uh, with, uh, yeah, a bit of a mess, really. And uh, I like <laughs> that this simple rock song brings out this, uh, this uh, situation already in 71. Uh, because I, I believe it must have been quite slow at that time. Still, the train, you know. But then again, they release super albums every week, as you said, so... It was probably picking up speed. What do you think? Uh, I think I don't know. I, I feel I think they had the same ideas back then. It's not that different of what's going on yeah. uh, now. What I what I just described, just that it, it is the same, but it's way faster now. And it's just like, how do you even uh, uh, how do you even <laughs> uh, keep up? You know, that's yeah. uh, that's maybe the thing. And uh, yeah, for for an image like um, today, Ian Anderson looks like um, Walter White from Breaking Bad. That's how he looks now. <laughs> I looked a couple of interviews. Of He's a pretty hard, hard man. I could see it being the same character that told uh, his bandmates that uh, Tony Iommi can't do that again. You know, <laughs> I mean, he didn't even have to tell them. They knew. They were like, "Oh, you can't sit with Ian." And of course, Tony is a bit of a boss guy, so he he wouldn't cope with that. And luckily went back to Black Sabbath, where he did belong, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what, what would he have done with his Stratocaster and, and hat in, in Jethro Tull, really? I don't think he would have I, gone that far. No, exactly. He had to discover the SG and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a spare. That was a spare yeah. guitar. But yeah, that's another story it felt entirely. Like we, we felt like we talked about this, but maybe we haven't done the Black uh, Sabbath Maybe you watched yet. his... Uh, his feature also, his Gibson feature. Oh yeah, that was yeah. it. Icons. <laughs> icons. <laughs> He's icons. an icon. He is definitely an icon, uh, but it's yeah. a bit dorky also, which I like. Uh, and they're all kind of dorky, this guy, Ian Anderson, seems like. A yeah, definitely. Dork. And that's the, the why Ian I love Anderson, him. He's some kind of power dork, I would say, you know. <laughs> power dork. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, to, I guess to, to, to that idea, I could, uh, I could um, end the segment. I might come up with something more as your segment comes, if it's touching on similar grounds. But I'll, uh, I'll officially end my segment with, uh, with uh, the riff from the power dork himself. Yeah, so that's um, now I'm curious where where this cool comes in the light theme and how it ties to to Robin and Yathro Tal. So now yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, and I'm gonna keep you hanging a bit more because I I, I planned this uh, a bit right, like cool. uh, backwards uh, <laughs> this episode or not really, but uh, uh, I wanted to start at the end of something and then kind of move into the beginning of something else in a weird turn and kind of and also but broach uh, and uh, but. Um, Kind of uh, snuggle up with the past as well. Mm, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I changed the guitar to the acoustic. So um, yeah, here we go. Let's see. Here we go. Yeah, definitely a famous riff. I mean, I instantly recognize the riff, but who is it? Peter Gabriel? Yes, it's Peter Gabriel, uh, Salisbury Hill. Uh, right. w- one of these riffs that took on a life of its own later, but uh, it was a pretty big hit because uh, he just left the band called Genesis. Na- Genesis, and that's the sec. That's uh, Robin's uh, second favorite band, I think, or maybe yep. his absolute favorite band uh and I, I wanted to start in this direction because i, I just um by mistake or by mistake in adver- i just heard uh, this uh, song uh, and i never really listened to it um you know and it, it's a really good song and it, it really comes from an interesting place uh peter gabriel uh frontman of genesis uh they had huge success uh with uh, like a, a string of uh Really big, uh, big albums. Uh, arguably, maybe the biggest uh, of the prog rock bands. I don't know, really. Oh, right. but it could be. Um, and he, ha- they had uh, kind of developed this music that was super dense uh, with a lot of these uh, light motifs and uh, and things yeah. that we uh, will talk about later. But um, uh, and he had been becoming increasingly theatrical. You know, he he kind of dresses up like some kind of um, ethereal Dracula, also kind of this Captain Beyond character that with the white, um, uh, like a corpse paint almost, uh, mm-hmm. glow in the dark eyes and things. Like it's a mime, quite you know? a, like a mime. Yeah, he, and he does this theatrical stand-up 
portions. Uh, it's really strange music, and it's quite some stuff that I like. Um, but at some point, he climbed a hill called Salisbury Hill, and uh, and yeah, that's basically the the lyrics of the song. It's uh, uh, he could see the city lights, the wind was blowing, time stood still, eagle flew out of the night. He was something to observe. Came in close. I heard a voice. Standing, stretching every nerve. Had to listen. Had no choice. I did not believe the information. Just had to trust imagination. My heart going boom, boom, boom. Sonny said, grab your things. I've come to take you home. And he goes on to kind of explain his reasons for leaving um, Genesis, but through the song. Mm. That it became, uh, it, 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 he yeah was also battling with uh, fame, and he felt that he he was becoming this person that he didn't like, uh, didn't trust himself, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, like remaining sane, and he had to he, he still wanted to make music, but he had to make it uh, on his own terms. Um, I think that's a, rec- a quite recognizable. Um, you know, development also, but a healthy development. Uh, if, comparing to let's say why not metallica you know where you don't leave mm-hmm. and you just have to keep on doing the same uphill battle uh for the rest of yeah, your like, life uh, but here Kirk Hammett, you know never ha- had his voice heard really musically at least exactly um but here here is kind of an uh, an, an interesting uh successful a successful breakup of a band uh and uh, genesis also continues with phil collins the drummer on uh, on lead vocals, uh, yeah, gets even bigger. And, yes, even even bigger. And uh, but uh, let's uh, stay on Salisbury Hill a little bit. You know, uh, you you heard the song. Yeah, yeah. I instantly recognized the riff, and I wasn't sure when I guessed, but uh, you know, apparently I recognized it uh, mm. enough to just like the first uh, guess would be the right one. But I don't know exactly when he released this um, or if, what album it's on. It's kind of uh, the only Peter Gabriel solo song I'm super familiar with would be this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just uh, play it a little bit. Uh, it's so nice sure. to play it. Yeah, uh, I think it's such a. It took me uh, a week of practicing uh, to get it down because it's it's a kind of a backwards uh, style uh, uh, picking, uh, finger picking, of course. But it, it goes like all these songs that kind of feel like they were um, that people are self thought uh, as guitar players. You know, like uh, Nick Drake, for instance, plays completely different from. Uh, uh, whoever plays the guitar here, I have to ch- uh, look that up actually. But there's a live version uh, of Salisbury Hill from the Rock Palace, which I think it's like it's it's very good. It's very it's very very good, and even better than the uh, than the than the one on record uh, on uh, on the album because uh, it's so it feels very current. It feels like it could be written to, uh, written today. Um, uh, but yeah, it feels. <laughs> I always have to kind of re relearn how to play this this type of music. But I do like it, uh, yeah. and I, I felt uh, accomplished, uh, a little bit more accomplished than usual when I I finally got it. Um, uh, but yeah, he released in 1975 on his first uh, solo album entitled Peter Gabriel. Uh, the I think the 
two or three the three next albums were also called Peter Gabriel uh, you know as a kind of a <laughs> magazine going forward uh, so the fans gave them uh, you know like a nickname so the the first uh, album of Peter Gabriel the solo album was called Peter Gabriel uh, in parenthesis car because he's sitting in a car so that's the album car car um, yeah and and I think he he already like there's um a kind of development toward uh, towards some kind of inspiration from all over the world, like world beat, they call it then. Maybe that turned into world music or something like this. Uh, you really notice it on... Um, it really explodes in Steam... Uh, what's it called? Uh, a sledgehammer. Steam hammer. Sledgehammer on So from 1981, I think. Uh, if you know that song, I can't play that because it's just like... Uh, um yeah it's a baseline that kind of uh, uh we can we can put something in here but it's like yeah. this sledgehammer um and i think he went more you know he used his theatricality and uh the things he learned there to great effect but also by making really fun videos that became uh, huge on the mtv and, mm. and so on and uh, early mtv yeah. early mtv hits something like that yeah Definitely, um, but then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over to the electric guitar uh, because I also wanted wanted to talk a little bit about what's what's going on in the Genesis camp uh, with Phil yeah. Collins. I have if you, a, if you know anything, you can put yeah. Please. I have a Genesis riff too, yeah, but I, I haven't played it, but I I listened to it so much, I want to try it. Okay, let's see if I, it's possible even. kind of lead riff from uh, Fifth of Firth uh, from an album um, called Selling in England by the Pound. Firth of Fifth. Uh, Firth of Fifth. Firth of Fifth, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, also like, a, th- it's a very good album, I would say. It was my main Genesis album and it's super, of course, super um, affected by um, name is Peter Gabriel's way of singing and telling mm. stories, mm. which is a very peculiar way of doing it. Uh, almost even more peculiar than uh, John Anderson from last week. This guy, I would, I would say, yeah, definitely. I mean, we we kind of move. I already like moved to his solo albums, which is uh, still peculiar. But I mean, it, it, Genesis stuff is really out there. Yeah. You know, like the uh, Dancing with the Moonlit Night. Can you tell me where my country lies? Set a uniform to its true love's eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how it starts. The whole album yeah. is straight into that. Instantly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't play. Very but, eccentric. But very eccentric, right? Yeah. It's uh, super. And then the, and I never play this even, so let's just. 
I wish you'd play that. That was not the, the riff I prepared, but uh, it's fantastic. Fantastic uh, guitar player also in um, uh, in uh, Genesis. Tony, Tony Steve Hackett. No, no, Steve Hackett. Steve Hackett. It's Tony Yeah, Bank. it's funny it's connection Hackett. to last week because Steve Hackett also had a brief period when he had a band with uh, How from Yes. So mm. like Hackett and How. But, uh, you know, it was doomed to fail. They had, there, was <laughs> way, there was like two sheriffs in the same town, you know, it didn't work. They couldn't do it together. Uh, uh, this Tony Banks is, of course, the, the, the keyboard player. Also an amazing uh, keyboard player in Genesis. Um, yeah. But I was thinking about uh, what was happening on uh, A Trick of the Trail. A Trick of the Tail, right? Um, yeah. First song, Dance, of, uh, Dance on a Volcano, now with uh, Phil Collins. Uh, still on drums, but also singing which is quite something because this song has has it all. It has uh, seven eight time. It has four four time, but it has eleven sixteen. You know, yeah, while singing, crazy. like it's just. Uh, yeah, and you know what the weirdest part is is that he's so pop. Also, you know, yeah. he, he really like he's Mister Pop. We addressed him last week as well. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, like the sound the in the air tonight drum sound and his pop sensibilities, which are like Elton John level pop sensibilities. And at the same time, he's this eleven sixteen thirteen. 15 guy you know there is no yeah. 15 but you know you know what <laughs> yes, many sides no but I, I heard i read a little bit about uh, about him how he sings he always knows uh, instinctively instinctively what uh, what tone to sing on a chord like really mm. and how to make it as good as possible and that's quite something i mean i don't necessarily like all his music but uh it's really stand out especially when you see like a live show with genesis when he you know uh, sings and plays this drum. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. Uh, but they got this uh, this part. Uh, let's see if we can do it. <laughs> Dance on a Volcano, the intro there. Uh, and it's really, uh, it kind of uh, uh, goes, uh, kind of builds up. It has this epic build-up. Goes on for a long time and then comes the the verse riff, which I think is really cool with, um, uh, and that, that one is in... Uh, uh, oh, it's just a seven eight. It's a it's a <laughs> fairly straightforward. But it goes <laughs> simply goes eight. like this. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a really cool riff. Uh. Cool part. Which album are we on then? And we're on Trick of the Trail, uh, Trick of the Tail, I think it's Trick called. Trick of the Tail, yeah. I, I recently bought that on, I bought it on vinyl recently from Blues mm. Lasse on Torreira. <laughs> but I haven't got, gotten into it yet. I'm, I'm stuck on Foxtrot. But uh, yeah. uh, Trick of the Tail, it's the album after Selling England, or where is it in the disco? 
No, so it's uh, right after Peter Gabriel leaves. So Phil Collins ah, takes okay, over. Okay. Um, so it's after uh, Lamb lies down on Broadway, I think, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, which is also a great fucking song. Yeah, that was another Lamb. one of my father's like uh, go-tos, Lamb lies down on Broadway. Um, the, mm. the, the, the album, but actually mostly the song. Broadway, that one. Yeah. And it's uh, it's kind of peak theatrical uh, Peter Gabriel, and then he but then he moves back, you know, like he he realizes that this is not where he wants to be, and he makes this. I think it's like it's the most grown up decision in rock, maybe <laughs> when when rock grows in up. Rock. <laughs> when rock grew Rick up. Rick Piano. When rock grew up. <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just feel it's like such a positive, it's such a positive song, uh, Salisbury Hill. And it, it was used mm-hmm. in uh, romantic comedies, like trailers for romantic yeah. comedies all over the 90s, right. uh, which kind of, uh, of, I didn't really remember it like that, which is uh, good probably because I would probably not have liked it as much as I do now. Um, uh, but <laughs> I also saw someone... Uh, recut uh, the trailer to Shining, making it to a father and son uh, right. drama, yeah. <laughs> Com- comedic drama. Then with Salisbury Hill coming in, um, yeah. which works, I think. <laughs> yeah, because it's such uh, a, it's the least menacing riff ever, maybe. Yeah, and, and there's, uh, wait, there's no evil uh, in it. No, and, and I think it, it sounds happy, but there is some sadness in it. Also, I think there is. Uh, it has that as well. It has this uh, sadness of letting go, but then knowing that, hoping that it will be become better, you know. And that's yeah. uh, maybe the thing. And uh, I'll just—I uh, mean, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm just swapping guitars, like I. <laughs> Uh, and I, I wanted to edit in the the ending of the song when this uh, crushing electric guitar comes in and just like raises the stakes totally. I think it's a very well uh, composed, like um, still going strong with this. Uh, maybe it's not a light motif here, but it's still it has that the riff has that feeling that it's coming in, you know, right after the um, uh, like you you described that last week. I think uh, right after the. the the refrain right after the chorus mm-hmm. and then like yeah. it jumps into the the riff i think that's really uh it's a, a good thing like a good trick um yeah and then um but yeah i mean so so we are like in in two worlds and it's kind of we think of like how huge they became like by themselves but also with genesis that the band could produce two huge artists like Phil yeah. Collins and Peter Gabriel uh, and I mean the rest of the band was pretty great as well but uh, and they yeah but they you know that's quite something I must say and it's uh, do you know Definitely. any other um, I mean like as, as, as part apart from the Beatles maybe um, do yeah. we have any other stories like this yeah when like I think if I'm guessing they, they kind of produced themselves and they just happened to you know, be in the same band that ever wherever they would have been, they probably would have made it. I think so. Like those two characters, but um, coming up with something similar is pretty hard. Mm. Uh, like a meeting of minds in that regard. <laughs> 
you know, because quite often they're brothers and then it doesn't count. Like, uh, you know, Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul or something, or Noel Gallagher, Liam Gallagher. But uh, I don't know. It's it's not common, is it? It's usually like a band leader and then maybe a charismatic frontman that can get somewhere too, but the band leader can't have a solo career or something like that. You know, maybe uh, like Led Zeppelin, for example. Wait, wait, uh, hang on. I, I just got, I could, I, I kind of froze in my brain because I was imagining Vinnie Paul together with uh, Noel Gallagher. <laughs> the band. <laughs> Great band. A great band. What, what would they call uh, Hell, Hell Yeah. It could uh, still yeah. be called Hell Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Noel Gallagher's weird. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Noel Gallagher's uh, Hell Yeah. Yeah, very good. Flying hell. Very good. Yeah. That's Flying. Like, yeah, but then, no, I couldn't come up with anything. That, that's my reply. I, I can't come up with many other bands where you have two superstars, kind mm. of already stars in their band, and both yeah. of them like kind of fronting and selling albums for Genesis as well as for themselves. Um, hard to say, really. No, oh, exactly. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's an interesting career also for uh, for Peter Gabriel. He starts his own, you know, uh, he does his own management sort of and starts his own record label. Just do, does his own thing and quite su- successfully until the 90s at least. And now he kind of trickled away a bit. Uh, but it's quite a long career. Uh, it's not that much to say about it, I think. Uh, but, uh, but just saying this, uh, kind of how this split... Uh, yeah. Also produced, you know, two, 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 three careers, you know, like uh, out of making a grown-up decision. I think that's uh, rare in rare in rock, and uh, yeah, why not applaud it a little bit? Yeah, I think so. And uh, with, uh, with Peter Gabriel, uh, was he? Uh, do you know his story, like musical story at all? Uh, if he was coming in as a singer in the first place, or if he also had like another instrument first. That- didn't work out as well because I really know very little about uh, the guy and his story. Uh, or actually, anyone, I don't know about anything about in Genesis, what they did before, I don't, or like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> I mean, we can cut it off if you don't I, either, but maybe there's yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I could go to Wikipedia, but why? You know, like yeah, uh, true. No, the, you can you can check that up. It, it's an it's for for later. I mean, I think like for me, uh, I didn't never really listen that much to uh, Genesis. I was living together with uh, with Robin for a while, and then there was a lot of Genesis coming through his uh, coming through the wall. And he was he would always play uh, first or fifth on the piano, uh, which yeah. was pretty great. And um, uh, but other than that, I felt like now, like after last week's episode, I was like, why not go further into these uh, these guys? But then I want to kind of, you know, without you know having to <laughs> practice uh, all uh, all these super difficult riffs from uh, uh, or intricate riffs, I would say from Steve Hackett, I would just kind of uh, uh, go uh, jump that and leave it for maybe a special or something down the line, returning to Genesis when I when I heard more, you know. Because I don't know crazy that much. riffs, you know, like uh, <laughs> things like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, doing tapping and stuff very early yeah. on, I would say. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty great, though. We get all this kind of cool music. Yeah, uh, 
it could for sure be a uh, uh, something to play uh, late night at the beach with a bonfire and be that guy, you know, like it's that kind of riff also. But I, I enjoy that now and then, and I think it's a great song actually. Um, and now I and always the, think of that uh, shining, you know, the nice <laughs> version of shining. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the first memory I had, but I couldn't place it. And then obviously I knew that that was Salisbury Hill, but uh, then I'm not I'm not too familiar with the stuff he did. Uh, Aside of that, I think for me, listening to him is kind of, uh, I get full quite easily. Uh, I really like it at first, and then I get kind of full. So I, because I, I tried to re pick up Genesis recently and it didn't really work except for one album, Foxtrot, mm. which your brother used to say was that's the best Genesis record. And, well, and okay, I believe it is. Yeah. There's, a, there's a fantastic song on it called uh, The Watcher, which is kind of also like a Les Miserables type scenario or something like that, like a bit of a musical going on about the. Uh, like uh, evil landlords, uh, you know, they're pu- putting the rent up and the, the family has to move out or have to move into a smaller yeah. apartment and then they up the rent again. And uh, and when it really goes off the rails, it becomes so dystopian that they get message from uh, uh, the government uh, bureau of genetic control uh, regarding the maximum humanoid height because they figured out if they rent out really, really low ceiling cavity apartments they make more money so they force okay. human humanoids to be maximum 1.4 meters or something like that uh, <laughs> in order to make more money so it's kind of you know it ties in a little bit with what we talked about before uh, oh, the yeah. development of the development of society and the kind of dystopian future or uh, uh, yeah things going haywire in that sense uh, and it's really funny and peter gabriel delivers it very fun because he sounds so so much like the asshole landlord and he's singing like get him up a friday no one's getting paid until they're well on their way. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting song. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's not The Watcher. It's called Get Him Out by Friday, but The Watcher is also on that one. Uh, okay. Really good side A on, on Foxtrot. Really good, cool songs. Get yeah, Him Out by Friday. Well, it's interesting, right, when you move into this, because I, I don't, it's interesting when you don't know anything. And I, I, I was like, okay, but I'm going to play this. But I also wanted to talk a bit about Genesis, even though I have nothing have nothing <laughs> on them, mm-hmm. you know, but there's, there's still a lot because it's so, uh, uh, it, it's on one hand, I knew that uh, you might know stuff, but on the other hand, it's also like incorporating this well-known uh, rock dinosaurs like by now, but at that, that time where they were pretty fresh, um, but also connecting it to last week and having a bit of uh, progressive uh, uh, Gain It For Ifs uh, session, you know, Progress for episode. Riff. Progress um, for Ifs. What do you think is today's Genesis? If there is one, even uh, if not, uh, yeah, I was thinking about Black Bonzo that we went to see, but I mean, it's you know, like you know, it's not a well-known band, but I remember we went to see them and like a whole bunch of people, and they they were so excited that they booked the same place, and then we didn't go, and I don't know how it went <laughs> if no one went. That's uh, weird. No one went. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think today's Genesis wouldn't that be like Kanye West or something? No, big pop, but still somewhat eccentric or weird or pushing some yeah. kind of limits i don't know I, I think Kanye west is finally uh out you know like he's fine uh, you know he was such a gigantic star uh like also 10 years doing, ago, y- yeah no but like oh, up until five years ago i think but now i think this his star has dwindled uh but i think that is uh definitely like this um uh, artist that takes inspiration from everywhere, like uh, you know, using the 21st century squid, 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 squ
Squid Man, uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man as a uh, riff, as a uh, part of his power, which is a great song, I think. Uh, yeah. but th- and, and also, you know, <laughs> really strange stuff. But then, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to think because this music is so locked into the early 70s. So it's hard to kind of translate it into today. Uh, I mean, it would be as hard with Yes, probably. Um, I, I was like, I had an idea and I, I just wanted to say it. So I, I want to say it loud so I see if it makes sense. But um, so, like, uh, Peter Gabriel walked up a hill and he had this transcendent ex- uh, uh, experience uh, where he, uh, you know, you got a sign from uh, the heavens, let's say, that. Now it's time to embark on his own adventure, uh, and the first song off of uh, uh, yeah, that's the first single off of his new album, his own solo album. But the first song out off of uh, Trick of the Tail with Phil Collins kind of ascending to the to the singer position, the top of the mountains, dance on the volcano, which is also kind of uh, I just felt like those belong together these two songs, and uh, that you have the. The beautiful uh, light motif of, uh, of Dance on a Volcano. It's great. Um, and, then, uh, and then just to, yeah. But these two songs, you know, they just kind of. It feels very natural, the whole thing. It feels... Uh, yeah. I like it. I like that. I like when stuff is natural and not forced. On that regard, I think this this, t- this time it would be impossible to combine riffs. They're so completely different. It is... Uh, this is the Aqualung riff being not very natural, you know, with all the... Couldn't combine that with. They're really maybe the most different riffs we've ever had, in a sense. Even though we sometimes combine TV maybe. game music with with Kurt Vile, this they're not very similar. No, not true. Um, but hey, uh, maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that's it for today's episode, and we uh, get the hell out of here. What do you say? Yeah, I think so. And uh, that's Game of Riffs this week. Next Wednesday, something completely different, I do believe. I'm not, probably not going to look for another riff from 71 for next week. Will be something new. No. No, enough. Let's go, uh, l- let's go modern. Let's go uh, yeah. Slipknot or something. <laughs> I don't know. Slipknot. I mean, Slipknot, it could be, there could be an episode for sure. There's so many. So We don't know. It's going to be a big lottery, I guess. But uh, exactly. thanks for this time. And see you around, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers. Sushi is fish for men who don't know how to build a fire. Dated for riffs. <laughs>